Hello, everybody. Welcome to Words and Guitars, the podcast about music by people that ostensibly care about music. Um, today, I'd like, I'd like to welcome my co-host, Michael Tedder. Hi, how's it going? Uh, it's going well, thank you. Um, this podcast is uh, derived from a monthly reading series we do mm -hmm. uh, that shares the name, Words and Guitars. Every uh, second Thursday. Every second Thursday. Um, that reminds me, I don't know if I can do this month. We'll talk oh, about it later. Okay. And, um, and our guest today is Jay Green, Jason Green. Which, what do you prefer, Jay or Jason? E either way is fine. Jason Green. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Um, who may or may not be referred to as Jay throughout the program. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, TBD. And uh, Jay Green is a comedian, a yep. uh, writer, a singer of bands um, that uh, you have heard of, if you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, he was in the band Orchid, mm -hmm. and then he was in the band Panthers. Yes, and then he was in the band Violent Bullshit. Yes, um, and uh, and oh, what was the uh, what was the band you did with uh, Will? Uh, the last thing you did. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Th that's still potentially an ongoing affair, but we made uh, a seven inch and a twelve inch, and the band's called Ritual Mess. That's right. That was a great record. Thank you. Yeah, I like that record a lot. Good to see you again, Jay. Good to see you too. Thanks for having me, guys. You're welcome. Appreciate Thanks it. Come on. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna start off real easy. Um, okay. Uh, because I know that uh, this year you have uh, Abulation is re-releasing the first Orchid album. Yeah. So the the record's never gone out of press <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but we did just get, yeah, we got, I, I, you know, I didn't realize this until I received the email from uh, the record label saying that it has, it's its 20th anniversary of Chaos Is Me. Yeah, the first Orchid LP. So, I mean, that, 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 I think that leads to the question that everybody who has ever met you uh, is wondering, um, you invented Screamo. Uh, <laughs> why? <laughs> and think, a generation of a hot topic, hot topic shoppers. Thank you. Well, I had a, a, a Damien from Fucked Up once told me that even though he liked me a lot, if they had a time machine and he could kill me and stop all the bad music, that he would like to. Well, you know, I think a lot of people would take umbrage with the the thought that we invented Scream. I think there's a lot of other bands before us that were doing similar. We, I mean, we we. We thought we were ripping off bands when we started. We were intentionally ripping off bands when we started. Well, Who were you ripping off? Uh, well, a big one is a lot of German hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> this label called Percoro, which was, uh, and there's bands called Sistral, Morser, Acme. Yeah. Uh, we were obsessed with those bands, trying to sound like that. How were you hearing those bands in like bumfuck? Uh, we not, were in, you weren't in Canada. You we were, were in you were, you, you were in you were in Connecticut, weren't you? Well, I didn't hear that stuff until uh, I got to college because that's when we formed Orchid when I was at college at oh, okay. Ham Hampshire College in um, in Massachusetts, like Northampton, Amherst area. And we heard of that stuff. Basically, there was I can't remember the name of it, but there was a mail order catalog, and it would just be in alphabetical order all the releases that were coming out and a paragraph describing them, and just based on the paragraph. 
description, you'd order records. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got the Acme record was it was just like whirling, chaotic, you know, (laughs) sludge core or whatever, some fucking thing. And uh, yeah, so, and then it just sort of, then you're like, oh, they're on this label. What else is on this label? And it kind of rolls downhill, I guess. I don't know. But uh, (laughs) yeah, so those bands and the other really big one was this band, a Canadian hardcore band called One-Eyed God Prophecy, which I think if you like us, you probably know, but yeah, uh, they definitely, they, I think they, they just made one LP and played like a handful of shows. But to us, they were like, that's who we were trying to be pretty much. It's interesting because uh, I like hardcore and the early Christmas stuff. It's not like something I live and breathe. So I'm sure I'm a, <laughs> You're a grown adult man. <laughs> yeah. No, but even when I was a teenager, I enjoyed some of that stuff. It wasn't like my uh, thing. Right. But like, I, I, knew, I know the history of it a little bit. Did you think that what you were doing was different than regular hardcore? Were you consciously yeah. adding more of a, quote, emo element? Well, yeah. It, you know, it, it evolved from, you know, from the demo to the time we had a, we did a demo. We did a couple seven inches and splits, and then we did the LP. And it evolved for sure. And I, because I grew up in, mostly in a tiny town in Connecticut called Cheshire, most famous for murders this murders that happened there uh but it, oh there's my. there's no way there's a great hbo documentary about it called the cheshire murders check it out guys Pick I, the clip. oh i've seen that yeah, yeah. It, that's it my hometown good. oh yeah. Yeah. oh wow I, I saw you in there yeah <laughs> uh and there was no way to know about anything good there there was no punks in that town right. it was me and my three friends essentially i you know the only reason i discovered anything good was probably the beastie boys god bless them because they had great taste in everything and like I, that's why I got Minor Threat. That's why I heard about Fugazi. All that stuff. Did you have uh, the uh, not Hello not, Grand Royal magazine? Yes. Like that's I was in Cheshire, Connecticut, like reading about Lee Scratch Perry. Like that. Nice. Those guys. Nice. I I owe. Well, maybe I should say. Maybe I'm angry at them for sending me down. This <laughs> but but then and and the hardcore shows that I would I discovered in Connecticut that were, uh, you know at. The, I, the first one I saw was I was just at a skate park and there was a show happening. I'm like, oh, there's hardcore bands that still play this kind of music. And it was all very, <laughs> to put it politely, sort of ignorant, tough guy, hardcore stuff. In yeah, so would, would that be like wide hardcore? You don't say. In yeah. In Connecticut. So yeah. who that would that be like wide awake or like wide awake was before my time. But the so the guy who booked every single show that I went to in Connecticut was Jamie Josta, the lead singer of Hatebreed. Oh my. And he was not that much older than me, really. I think he might be five or six years older than me. I, I'm not sure. But he was like, to me, he was a full-grown adult man. Mm-hmm. And they booked all the shows. And so it was bands like Marauder, <laughs> Fury of Five, like really tough guy, hardcore stuff. Well, for example, there was a New York band called Bulldoze. Have you heard of them? No, I don't know Bulldoze. Okay, Bulldoze was famous because the lead singer, I think his name was Kevin Bulldoze. I don't think that's his Christian name. Yeah. He beat a man to death. Oh, shit. Went to jail. And then they had his release party at the skate park in Connecticut. And they made t-shirts that said, Bulldoze, the final beatdown. And I'm like, this seems totally oh, cool. Wait, how long did this guy go to jail for for I, murder? You know, listen, there's a lot, of, a lot of ins and a lot of outs that I don't fully know about. But I was, uh, you know, I was so accustomed to that. Do you have that. the shirt? I, no. No, I wish I had bought Kevin it. Kevin Bulldoze, you know, I'm going what? to Google Chris, this Christmas one. Is coming up. Listen, it, it, yeah, you, go, you should Google it. I mean, I guess Google it. But <laughs> I think, and I was just accustomed to, their shows were really violent. There's always fights. There was a gunfight at one show I was at. Uh, and I just thought that that's what shows were like. Right. Like, you'd go to shows and people would fight. 
like that's just and did you like did you like that music because i know like yeah, jeff yeah. garland oh, yeah, still yeah. Oh. loves oh i like that hatebreed hey, the hatebreed demo yeah i mean listen if you put me in another place in time maybe not but because i grew up that i have a fondness for that stuff sure What's no I, I as do i i mean I, mm. I think i think there's a lot to be said for really like yeah dumb brutish so, hardcore. so you would have like did you have regularly go to pits where you feared for your life I never really feared for my. I was I was uh, I I associated with the uh, youth crew kids. Okay. So we were uh, very positive, and we were we were straight edge, and then there was the tougher guys who you know would get in fights all the time. I got beat up the first show I went to because I was moshing wrong mm-hmm. by one of the Grippo brothers. You can Google them too, and uh, then they just told me what I was doing wrong, and then I was fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think the first time I was ever like near a mosh pit, being like, oh shit, I could die if I go into that. Uh, I'm from Orlando, Florida, kind of a white bread suburban place. So what? And like, there wasn't a huge hardcore scene there. But I went to Ozfest. I believe it was ninety eight, ninety nine. Great lineup. I'm talking Black Sabbath was on there. System of Down played. It was really good. Was that the Iron Maiden year? No, but no, okay. All right. So I'm in like this West Palm, Florida. We, me, and my friends drove down. Like some terrible outdoor shed because no one likes sheds. But this huge like grassy area. All of it was a war field level mosh pit for Slayer. And I was like, oh shit, these people are trying Those to murder each shows other. shows are really, Slayer shows are crazy. Yeah. I mean, the Hatebreed shows looked like a little riot. And he had, there was a part before Breakdown of Song where he just says, let the Connecticut prison riots begin. And everyone just goes apeshit. I never, like, you know, I was a witness to a lot of violence. I was never involved in uh, violence. I have to say that for the record. Right, but, yeah, of course. But anyway, yeah. so I went to college and that's what I was. I had a, I had, I shaved head, bleached hair, was wearing like, straight edge hardcore band t-shirts and again hampshire is a small school and there was a handful of kids who were into hardcore and once you get into a zone where there's not a lot of you genre doesn't really that sub genres don't matter as much just as long as you like the same kind of thing so will who comes from a grindcore kind of crust punk uh, hardcore background approached me and we just started chatting we got along and he made me a mixtape of actually good hardcore bands mm-hmm which I still have, and uh, so what, like what what, what 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 would be? I mean, this is the bands like the German bands you were talking about, or sort of yeah, like, there was Acme or, was or, or like I think ABC no Rio band, ABC no Rio bands, or like uh, <laughs> no, it was more of it was more of the kind. Of, it was like a lot of grindcore, which I just like didn't know anything about. Mm-hmm. So bands like Suppression, um, Man is the Bastard, uh, just stuff that I had never heard of. And then like Antioch Arrow, like cool hardcore that oh, yeah. Antioch Arrow, just didn't good. cross my path where, I mean, that was like, you'd be, the, that wouldn't fly. At the shows right. No, of course. So I was instantly just kind of, I thought it was so great. And I was in another band playing guitar. It was called All I Ask. Uh, <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> yes, of course it was. And Will uh, asked me about starting a band and I said, I thought he wanted me to play guitar, but he's like, no, I want to play guitar. You should sing, which I had never done before. Um, and yeah, that's how it started basically. And, and, and because of the stuff he was playing me and I was also thrown into a college situation where you were expected to have already read all the works of Marx and Freud mm-hmm. and they are on to Lacan and like the next guys. And I, that's like being thrown totally into the deep end, but I was thrilled by it because I didn't have, I, I barely knew who those people were when I got to college. And I just dove right in. And so all that stuff kind of came together at the same time uh, where that's what I was excited about thinking wise. And in terms of 
you know, there's the, my favorite bands like Bikini Kill or Nation of Ulysses or Los Crudos. Mm-hmm. They had literary references, and I would seek those references out, and I feel like I was learning something, and I found that really exciting. And that's kind of what I wanted to do with Orchid. Yeah, well, it, it seemed like especially uh, Nation of Ulysses sort of gave permission to, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, to, to, to talk in a certain way, to have like... Yeah really pretentious yeah, which yeah, yeah. I, you know and I which I still love you know and then of course as it time went on it went sideways and then everyone just started having like weird self-effacing long song titles and, yeah and you <laughs> yeah. know like Nation uh, of yeah. Ulysses were great but then at some point like a lot of bands cop like I'm going to dress really fancy and try to be sassy but I'm not going to have a working understanding of like socialism or whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah that's roughly we, true we, we call that we call that the, the, the refused uh uh, we call that just being in refused. <laughs> I like refused, but I'll accept the burn. I, uh, I mean, I took. I remember with the, when someone told me that they thought the band was pretentious. I was like thrilled. Yeah, <laughs> thrilled. <laughs> I wanted it to be because I, I really did want it to be something different. I wanted it to be away from. I didn't realize you could go to shows and there'd be like women there that were involved, and it wasn't like terrifying to be at. And people were talking about progressive, interesting things as opposed to cons- like a lot of hardcore. And Connecticut was conservative as fuck. Like, mm-hmm. there was a band called Follow Through that had played with an American flag behind them and had a song about joining the army. Yeah, yeah, sure. And I was just like, yeah, great. This is, and also, you know, the straight edge stuff gets into pro life stuff, and it it all is th- this kind of post Reagan era conservatism that creeped into hardcore. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. no, yeah, of course. It was, it was always weird when like sort of like nihilism. And like individualism got kind of transferred into like re- really comfortably into yeah. like Reaganism. Yeah, no, it, 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 it just was went, a, it went really. Not, it just went. It was a very smooth transition. It was, and it's not something that I feel like I really registered with until I got to college. How backwards a lot of that stuff was. Um, so yeah, I mean, there was, I guess, lyrically, the first the demo tape. I was that like I have like a really horrible political song that I modeled after chokehold lyrics. I think it says like, <laughs> what the fuck are the lyrics? I'm trying to. There's an anti-cop song. They're really bad, and because I had never written really anything before that, so it wasn't until I think the first seven inch we did on this label called Handheld Heart that I started trying to write my own kind of lyrics. Right. So before that, you were sort of writing what you thought. Yeah, yeah, a hardcore singer should be singing yeah, about yeah. like I don't like cops and oh it was it's a spoonful of sugar bowlful of shit I think was one of my big lines in the, <laughs> the demo tape <laughs> really bad stuff but yeah yeah so it, it took it it took a and I think it, it continued to evolve through the band and only really the last record is the one I like the most and feel which album is that it's self titled uh, it's known as the gatefold record because it, mm-hmm. it was gatefold but um and that one I was the I think. By the time I feel like it was sort of a fully realized concept, we were done. So, see, I think it's always a sign that like your band is actually well regarded or or has an influence when the self titled album has a different name. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, I'm not 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 I'm not saying I'm not putting you guys in some sort of pantheon with like the Beatles and Weezer, but uh, <laughs> but why not? Sure, sure, we can say like the sort of father, son, and the Holy Spirit. Of course, yeah. the yeah, Beatles, yeah. Weezer, and Orchid. Well, it's um, a weird thing to think about with those records too is for a long time we had such dumb fucking ideas about things like we wouldn't play on a stage we wouldn't release a cd we only our stuff was only available on vinyl 
That's how did, it. How did Grassy? How did you tour not playing stages? Was it all house shows? No, we, just, no, we played a lot of house floor. shows, about, and we uh, we played a lot of house shows, and we annoyed a lot of sound guys. That was pretty much how it went. And we would just be like, "Well, we're not playing if we can't play on the floor." Towards the end, so stupid. Towards <laughs> the end, we, especially the last run of shows we did, we physically couldn't play on the floor. It just wasn't possible to mm-hmm. because it was so backed. But uh, but up until then, yeah, we and, yeah, and so we we our records like we didn't want to take out advertisements because we were like against advertisements consumerism <laughs> i guess you know that we had a lot of ideas about stuff that were i mean it was very like admirable in a sense but we put ourselves through a lot of hardship that we didn't need to but those records people still heard it and we eventually did release a cd discography and that sold worse than anything else we've put out so you know i think there's something about the fact that it was so niche i mean we we did records that Super limited pressing, glue in the dark, like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh uh, yeah. And then do you have that weird shaped the uh, skull? Yeah, that's the skull, the skull split with Jerome's dream. Now, do you remember <laughs> when you were first called Screamo? How did you? What happened? And how did you feel about that term? You know, the first thing we were called before Screamo that mm-hmm. was pretty much Screamo. I honest, honestly, I don't feel like Screamo came until after we broke up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were called emo violence for a really long time. Wow. That what? was the one, if you look at reviews of us, uh, and that's, I, I, I feel like that term was coined by a band called Inhumanity that was from uh, North Carolina or South Carolina, I believe. And they're a great band, but they had, I think it was in a song lyric or something, they said emo violence. And then we became the emo violence band. People. Yeah. That's actually pretty great because it's, I mean, it's a kind of combination of power violence and. Yeah emotional hardcore and our um, records at first were put out the label that our guitar player will had a label called clean plate and he put out just pretty much grindcore records and power violence records and so when we put stuff out when we were associated with him we played a ton of just like crust punk shows at the beginning grindcore shows our first show was with pig destroyer their first show oh cool and we did our that's how we started making records they that that show was our first show they asked us to do a split seven inch and then that one of the weirder splits now, I think, probably, sure. if you think about it. But mm-hmm. um, now, was it, now, chronologically, was this before? And I know it gets to be a very dull discussion, especially for anyone under the age of 56. But um, was that before emo? Because I understand that the, 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 the meaning of emo has changed. I'm, I'm yeah. not one of those people that's like, no, it just means Rachel Spring. Right. right. You know, yeah, I yeah. get it. Yeah. It means saves the day and it means all that. And yeah. I, it, that's what it means now. And that's, that's fine. Yeah. The, 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 the language has changed. It's fine. But that was, that was still roughly when emo was meant a certain like screechiness or was it already going in more? Like what year, territory? what year was this happening? The, we, this was, uh, well, I guess, so the first LP was, I guess it'd be 2009. That's not right. Yeah. What? What? 1990. <laughs> I don't know why my math is. Yeah, 2009. Uh, it was early. It was, it was late 90s. It was the arcade fire of uh, <laughs> yeah, evil yeah. violence. No, it, it was late late 90s or early 2000s. So this was a, a period of time that was, you know, eventually that was pretty interesting where every kind of band played together. So it'd be like, his hero is gone. The get up kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, spaz. Like it's one of those things where all these different. I, I don't. I don't know if anybody who's listening to this is going to know who any of these bands are. But it was all these I, different I think kinds. Only of... the people that listen to this know who <laughs> these bands are. But you know, so emo at the time, like the emo bands 
where it's sort of a post sunny day real estate kind yeah. of landscape. There's bands called like Knapsack. Like uh, uh, okay. Texas. <laughs> right, so it's going in that Texas direction. Is the Texas is the reason. Uh, they were pre- they predated us, but we overlapped. Like Juno and stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah, things, totally. Okay. Okay. Jejune. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, Jejune. That's the name I've heard forever. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of bands like that, and we would play shows with them all the time. Like that was a. That was the thing. Now, did you ever manage to sneak on to the, co- the beloved compilation series, of which I own several installments, The Emo Diaries? <laughs> no, I'm not familiar with The Emo Diaries. Oh, that's how I first heard, like, Texas is the reason all oh, that okay. stuff. It was just like, and the Appleseed Cart, all those bands. Like, it was like, they came out every couple right. months. And you'd but play. I think that's, that is roughly when, it's sort of like when Fueled by Ramen became, yeah. when you could look at it, when people stopped laughing at a label called Fueled by Ramen, Yeah, is, is when it sort of, like, transitioned. Yeah. So that's when Emo was Emo, and you were... We were creating in, Screamo. Yeah, and there was a whole bunch of bands th- that came before us, too, that were like the fall on the ground, cry and scream kind of bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was like a, that I, was a I, genre, that was like I, a legit I, I genre. Know. And I, your I, seven inches would come wrapped in like a burlap sack. You know, be like Winnie the Pooh I, would be on the cover. When I first started hearing about emo, I hear that the band, the singers would cry on stage. Oh, yeah. I actually never personally saw that. The only time I did think you I, cry, did, I did not cry on stage. No. Did you come close? Not. No, the only time I came close was at like our last show. Okay. Has anyone ever seen someone cry on stage? Yes, like that was my job for <laughs> 10 years, was watching terrible emo bands cry on stage. I once saw Bradford Cox of Deer Hunter cried on stage. Well, that sounds like he probably had a good reason. Yeah, mm-hmm. like he like got on the floor and started screaming, I want my mom as like doing like all this like weird feedback, but it could have been just a bit because he's Bradford Cox. There's a famous, well, it's not very famous because it's again, pretty niche, but there's a story that's gone around and I have not... I wasn't there for it, but apparently there was a show where a band, I think it was, they're called Cerberus Shoal, but I'm not sure if I might be getting this wrong. What's the name? Cerberus Shoal. Okay. Oh, yeah. But the singer fell on the ground, apparently, and started screaming, what about the worms? (laughs) (laughs) Crying. That's... That's a that's a story that's like made the laps around. I was not and I was not there for that. Sarah Scholl actually they just all their stuff just came out on Bandcamp like six months I, ago. I don't want to libel Sarah Scholl. I'm no. not sure if it was that, but that, that's <laughs> my recollection. Um, Hardcore's its own strange little world. Like, there's I so like many, some of it, but you, you can go so down oh, the yeah. vortex. Well, that's into the it. whole thing because it really feels like its own. It, it's its own little world and universe, and there's so many micro genres, and you know. As a young person, that stuff's fascinating, you know, and you and you love to label things. Of course, and it's really so. so but while you while the while Orchid was still in existence, did you start to see the influence? Um, like, did you start seeing? And and again, well, I want to be very careful here because I think we're all friends with people that were in screamo bands that sure. were perhaps not our thing. Yeah. Um, but did you start seeing the kind of like dire influence you guys would have? <laughs> no, I mean, while we were a band, there was a lot of similar, there was a lot of bands doing a similar thing at a certain point. And, you know, who knows how that stuff works? Do you know what I mean? I, I don't think it's like people are like heard the Orchid record and decided to start a band like Orchid. But I think there was kind of a confluence of things going on. Uh, but... I didn't like any of those bands either. Like, well, I never wanted to play with like Usurp Synapse or fucking whatever these <laughs> page 99, like yeah. not interested at all. Um, but I don't think they were, I don't think they were 
trying to, they were influenced by us. I think that everyone was kind of liking the same stuff. Right, the and they were time. doing the same thing that you guys did when you started. Like you had, yeah, but, yeah, you, but, totally. but then you were one of those records, yeah, maybe. Like, that yeah, were, Jerome's like, okay, Dream, like all sense. those bands, I think. I think there was a second wave that probably liked the first wave of bands, but I, I think it really was just sort of like, these things were coming together at the right at the same time. So then was it much later? So when did, um, I think I think our listeners would be very interested <laughs> to hear it, Scrams? Oh, yeah. Scrams. Scrams. Scrams predated scene, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, this is when it gets, like, it gets way crazy. out of line. Please explain. I, yeah, now yeah. I'm lost. Okay. All right. Now, Jay, correct me. Okay. So, Screamo, I don't think there was a thing in between these two things. I think Screamo sort of transitioned as... As as it became, as more and more people got into it, in the same way that like a lot of people that would have been into maybe hair metal in the eighties mm-hmm. um, got into screamo because it was just a more popular. Like it, get, it gets into the hot topic stuff. Yeah, um, a lot of people with uh, now Jay and his contemporaries, their haircuts were alarming and they had white belts, but it was <laughs> there was not as a there was not. Um, the, the, you guys didn't have like Robert Smith levels. No, there were, there were, that was like, I think that was sort of the SoCalification. Like the, it was all these weird kind of California suburban kids, mm-hmm. you know, how it gets filtered through so many different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and then, and, and then by that point, uh, it legit was like hair metal, like legitimate. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and, and sort of the internet was becoming not, not become, it was not like a thing that just college kids or rich people had. And yeah. so, so it was all, you know, um, and again, I'm getting all these years sort of like it's all going yeah. together, but it's around the time of like Fredster into MySpace and stuff like that. Yeah. And of course, I think it peaked yeah. with MySpace, I believe, but then it became known as Scrims. Right? I think so. Talk my understanding scrims. is so this is the people were upset about the abuse of the word screamo that now it became meaningless. To clarify, so once bands like I don't know, Hawthorne Heights bro, it got big or whatever, or uh, <laughs> Poison the Well, who were pretty decent, I guess. Sure. Right. Uh, got be- once that became the idea of screamo, the style of music you're playing became scrims. Am I following that? Scrims, <laughs> scrams, scrams. Uh, scrams is just as that's is just as good. So I'm trying to keep up here. People. Well, this is yeah, this is this the is thing. So okay. I think what happened was this is my understanding <laughs> is that there's people who were fans of of this music. And they thought that the term was being abused and it didn't mean the right thing. It's like when people, like emo purists or whatever. Sure. Yeah. So they came up with a new, like, and I think it's Tumblr related, mm-hmm. came up with a new term to, to show who's like really knows their shit. Oh, so this and is. And scrams was the term. This is very similar to the, ter- to the idea of true school hip hop. Yes. Where like. Yes. Uh, whenever, whatever, like the guys who in the 80s were listening to Rakim and like yeah. Eric B didn't care for whatever was popular in the 90s. Uh, they thought they did not have the lyrical abilities, but call it, no, man, we like the stuff that's the true school hip hop. You know, there's always purists who are like, well, oh, the stuff that came out later is just too commercial. But the thing is, but Scrams wasn't re- wasn't referring to, here's the difference, Michael. I'm sorry. Um, I the, like the, me, Zach. Uh, the, well, and I could be, again, I could be wrong because this is all fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> but uh, Scrams was, it encompassed new bands Event, yeah, ultimately, but yeah. it was it was used as a term to yeah basically be like we're playing this type of hardcore from this specific period in time, this right. small group of bands, these obscure seven, and it has to be like the guitar. Everybody is run, everyone because we you know my old band we toured with a lot of those bands, or we we didn't tour with any of those bands. Mm-hmm. We would play Tulsa on a Tuesday mm-hmm. with six of those bands, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and they all 
they all had, you know, way better equipment than, than necessary. And they, their, their hair was alarming and playing. They, they like, it, they, they were, they were, it was, it was manic. Like mm-hmm. they, they would just, they, they wouldn't stop moving. Yeah. They were just going to and fro guitarists running back and forth and like flailing their guitars willy nilly. <laughs> The kids. The way that I first heard the term scrams, because at that like once the band, once Orchid ended and I moved on to do other stuff, you know, I, my, my day-to-day life is, no one's coming up to me every day being like, oh, Orchid's an influence, whatever, you know what I mean? So I don't really know what's going on in terms of the way people are processing the music. So I got, uh, and then once the internet came into it, more, more full force, there was like message board culture when Orchid was towards its end mm-hmm. but this is like you know full on internet i got a message on facebook from some teenage kid who said <laughs> i'm paraphrasing but he said you used to be scrams as fuck but now you're old and soft what gives or something and so i'm like what the fuck is scrams like i didn't know what scrams was so i google scrams or i asked jeeves whatever the time period was <laughs> and uh so I figured it out, and then I, you know, it's funny, it's a conversation I had with you, Zach, and I told you about this kid, sending this, and you go, you have to write him back. It's, you, you should really write him back. And that, because I wasn't going to respond. So I did respond, and, you know, I said, you know, I, I said, I, 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 it did, it's true, the timeline is right, I used to be scrams as fuck, whatever that means, and now I'm old and soft, because that's how time works, or whatever. <laughs> I was like, and I'm actually very happy, and, you know, so don't worry about me. And I wrote some nice thing to him, and then I signed it. Fuck off, Jake. And I sent it to him. Also, uh, did he write back? They po- he posted it online. Yeah, I did. And so now it's like all of, like if you Google Jay Green scrams, that pops up like instantly. And that, and one and day that young man will... is now president. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that was Barack Obama. And one day he too will be uh, soft and no. Yeah, that's scrams. the way. Uh, that's yeah. The people who don't get old and soft are terrifying. Yeah, who are committed to this insane DIY lifestyle, and like still have like a ping pong table for a dining room table. Like this wow. is not the way for grown up yeah. people. Though to... they do have very popular podcasts <laughs> to the last. Do they? Uh, John Joseph. Oh, he's but he's evolved. Everyone yeah. evolves. I oh, think, okay, right, right. But he's not. But when soft. people really stick to it. But that's. I mean, I also respect when people really. They're like, this is my thing, and I'm going to do this forever. But yeah, no, no one's thinking you're bad mouthing John Joseph. Yeah. You're, you're, <laughs> Please you're don't. No one is bad mouthing John Joseph. <laughs> who is John Joseph? He's the lead singer what? of the Chromax. We all oh, know who never John mind. Joseph yes, is. I do know who John. Okay, you're right. I do know who the Chromax. Uh, well, uh, like again, this is Zach's fun, uh, hardcore happy hour. I'm just hanging out. But I want to get a good. I want to get. But I like this stuff. This is not like what I live and breathe. But sure. I want to get a good laugh out of you too. So I want to tell you about the first hardcore show I ever saw. Okay. I was in high school, mid-90s. My My Boston's were the headliners. Mm-hmm. First opening, second opening act, Dance Hall Crashers put on a delightful show. But the first band, I, I would clarify them as hardcore, but that's <laughs> H2O. Oh, oh yeah, I know they're yeah. hardcore for they're sure. Hardcore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they totally. were actually really great. I H2O really enjoyed that. that yeah. first record. I loved that first record. Yeah. And then like, I was like, oh, okay. Like I even like bought one of their gasoline shirts with this kind yeah. of screened like H two in the back. I'd wear it at school. Like, yeah. Like Wait, are H two O the my friends are my, my family? Look at me, my family. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was that was on the uh, the Wicked City soundtrack. Yeah, with uh, uh, Sweet Diesel yeah. and um, oh. and I yeah, signed yeah. up for their zines. That's how I eventually learned about stuff like Shelter. Yeah. And like, but I was like a kid, so like I was wearing this H two O shirt to, to high school, and some kid went up to me. He was like, oh man. 
are you in the minor threat? I'm like, who? <laughs> uh, to be honest. Right. I uh, actually had a fanzine that had one issue, and in it was an interview with H2O. What was the fanzine called? It was called <laughs> X Through These Eyes X. So it was a, named after a chain of strength. So I'm kind of curious. How did you uh, go from the Orchid to being in the beloved band Panthers? <laughs> uh, well, it's pretty, you know, the way it worked was. You tried cocaine. No, <laughs> no, 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 actually not. That wasn't the reason why. But we, we, I'd left college and I moved to New York for some cr- dumb reason. And uh, Orchid was still going on. And we did, we're doing, we had done a couple tours of this band from Knoxville, Tennessee called the Red Scare, who were great band. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their guitar player, I, th- I thought they were all like super cool. They were older, a little older than me. And I thought they were just like the coolest people. And I was obsessed with, I wanted things to be cooler all the time. Like I just, I, I, a lot of times I was annoyed by how kind of stodgy and rigid the hardcore scene could be mm-hmm. uh, and how there was like a real anti-fun policy. Like people just did not like to have fun at all. And if you had fun, there's something wrong with you. And so I had this idea, like I started getting into, uh, you know, my politics were moving along kind of as, you know, you can see through the the records, the Orchid records, kind of what the, what was happening there. And I learned about like the MC5 mm-hmm. and I learned about, basically I wanted to do a rock and roll band that had insanely radical politics. So it'd be like, that was the concept, but none of us could really play particularly well. So it turned into this other thing. It's more of like a post-punky type of thing. But yeah, so I was living in New York. Kip from Red Scare moved to New York. And uh, I wanted to start a band with them. So we started the band. And I had like the concept in full before we started, pretty much. And that obviously changed over the years, but right. And then, uh, and, and your and your, your and your first EP was put out by Trouble Man. It is an LP, Uh-oh. and uh, yeah, we did. We I don't. We didn't put anything out. Yeah, we just put out an LP basically. Um, we did uh, maybe we did a demo. I don't remember, but yeah, it was on Trouble Man. Right. Yeah. How, how'd that go? <laughs> <laughs> Which part? The Trouble Man part or the record? <laughs> well, the funny thing is, the record came out right after nine eleven. And the first line on the first song is, we're not a band, we're a cabal of terrorists. Uh, oh, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. So timing, not great. Right. Uh, we are, I think our, and this, the other guys in the band can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think our record release show was supposed to be on 9-11. Yeah. No, I, we, you know, we, we, we had a show that day for sure. But, and it was with like, I think it was like with the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs or something. Well, no, that's me and Nick and uh, Stacy. Our first book was supposed to come out. Our, we, our, our book release was going around the, like that, and we ended up we had it out maybe like a week and a half later at Parkside Lounge, and it was still like all of the the white mist yeah. and everything. It was just it was you couldn't see outside. It was all white, and uh, and then I got really drunk, and for the first and hopefully last time, thanked a police officer. <laughs> Oh man, that was a weird. That was a weird time to be in New Did York. Did you continue to sing that terrorist line when you performed? Yes, yes, I How did. How did it go over? I mean, you know, with the people that were coming to see us, fine. I mean, it, you know, it, it was there really wasn't a big. It's not like you guys were opening up for Five Finger Death Punch. No, no, and yeah. it wasn't really. 
there wasn't really a blip on the, again, because the internet wasn't this, if we were a bigger band or something, you know, like the Strokes had to take off New York City Cops off their record, which is yeah. like not that controversial of a song. Right. Yeah. But we weren't on that level. And I think the people who liked us kind of understood what the thing was. So, and I was uncompromising in some of my dumb ideas. So, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I think it's just, it's interesting. This sh it shows um, what a different and like pre, you know, as progressive as we may have all been or, you know, but pre like, everything under the microscope sort of wokeness you guys were a very political band and a very like vocally political band yeah. signed to vice yeah um yeah we got signed to vice first we did an ep on dim mock records mm -hmm. with the late great steve aoki rest in peace <laughs> r.i.p pour one out steve, um, pour some cake out for steve aoki. and that record i think probably was our most pour some cake out okay um that record is what got assigned to Vice. And I had actually worked for, I had written I, reviews for Vice, but I don't think the guys at the label knew that. But I had, we had associations with them in some capacity. But Sarush was the guy who was running the label and he signed us. And the day, like, the day before we were supposed to sign the contract, that's when this article came out with Gavin in there saying all kinds of racist stuff. So I told Sarush, like, we can't, I, and the guys in the band, I'm like, I'm not signing. And of course they were horribly upset. It was a subsidiary of Warner Brothers. You know, this was the mm -hmm. biggest thing, but I'm like, I'm not doing it. And then he, he assured me, he's like, don't worry, we have a plan for this. And that's basically when, not, not because I said something, but that's when they bought Gavin out. And yeah. Well, that, I mean, that, that, I was going to ask about that because I had always heard that, that you guys were a big part of, and maybe, no, 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 no. but I mean, at least, at least uh, maybe the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, I'm sure that they were, maybe they're, oh, you're saying they're planning on doing it anyway. That's the impression I got. I mean, I, the, the, I, I can't imagine. I mean, uh, well, you know what? All things being equal, I don't think it would hurt to have as part of the rock legend that, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that Panthers, <laughs> Panthers refused Gavin. to sign to Vice. So Vice was like, you know what? Yeah, yeah we yeah. need we need Panthers. We need that Panthers money. We, we need a, you know, bye bye, that social cachet yeah, of uh, no, I, that scrams cachet. <laughs> so Gavin, take a hike. Yeah, but it was awesome. I mean, that was like such a that was such a really cool time period. You know, I basically get in got into every uh, profession that's like on its way out. Like like we got signed to a subsidiary of a major. Like when all that stuff shit the bed. Right. Um, so we had one final experience of having like tour support, a little bit of money, recording in a nice studio. And then after that record, like just no one knew what the hell was going on. So mm -hmm. now, which, no, was that the album that we, we, we were discussing earlier before the, the podcast? Uh, how was pitch, that album? Pitch, pitchforks. Uh, how was that album critically received? The yeah. first, the, so the one that I think you're talking about, the very first record, which is called Are You Down, the one that's on Trouble Man for a long time held the record for the lowest reviewed score on Pitchfork. It was point, 0 0.3. And the guy wrote about me in particular, like I shit in his cornflakes or something. Personally, <laughs> he did, did not like me, did not like the record. Uh, but the record's been broken since. The, 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 the ver first Vice record, well, the EP on Dimmock got best new music on Pitchfork, but they still didn't like me. And then... Great, great. And then the Vice record, I think, did okay. I don't remember. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I thought that... I think, uh, I, I, think I, I made a point to... Now, uh, when you got the point zero point three, were you hurt or were you thrilled? Well, you know... You were hurt. Yeah, yeah, it sure. Hurts. But it wasn't... 
it wasn't like uh, Pitchfork wasn't the thing that it is today or even a couple years later. It didn't seem like we laughed it off, mm-hmm. but of course you want to, you always want to get good reviews. I like stuff that's very divisive in my personal taste. And when I like watch films, television, music, I like a lot of stuff that people really hate. So to think that I would make art that everyone's going to love is unrealistic, but at the same time, I want everybody to love it. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times when people discuss Pitchfork now, um, one of the things that people are like, uh, when, you know, a lot of like older people are like, well, Pitchfork, you know, sucks now because it's Condé Nast or it's this, that, or they talk about, you know, they acknowledge rap music, you know, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I always have to remind people that like to a lot of musicians, like it's just how I came up, you know, or just friends, we all fucking hated Pitchfork. We've been hating Pitchfork since like 2002. Or something mm-hmm. because they were like they would they were messing with like bands that we love's careers. They were like they yeah, they were, were making they were, or breaking. They were, they, a lot they of were fucking with our like daily bread. But there yeah. was a moment I remember, and this is when like the big Brooklyn boom happened with you know the yeah yeahs the liars. I mean, we were there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there was a band from Brooklyn that is great called Blood on the Wall, uh, and they put a record out that was fantastic. And got a really good review in Pitchfork. It got a it got a five star review in Rolling Stone. Five stars? I think it was it was like four or five stars. That's like, like what they reserve for Dylan and you too. Five stars. Okay, maybe four. Okay, <laughs> we'll say four. I was just kind but of shocked. Either way, it's it's like they got like, and, I, and I remember being there's a there's a bar that's still there in Brooklyn that used to be the only game in town called Enid's in Williamsburg that we all hung out at. And I remember great mac Brad, and cheese there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Brad, who was the singer of Blood on the Wall, worked the door at Enid's, came in with the Rolling Stone, being like, dude, we're in Rolling Stone, four stars. You fucking made it. We're like, I was so happy for him. They couldn't fucking book a tour after that. Then that's when I realized, like, this stuff doesn't matter anymore. Things are changing. Well, yeah, but, it, but it's also, but I, I feel like sometimes when you get really bad reviews, maybe the, like, maybe the good reviews didn't help anybody, but I feel like the bad reviews... The good reviews did help people, for sure, but I think there was a moment in time where it shifted away. Like, like for example, if you got that review in Rolling Stone in, you know, fucking 92 or something, you'd be doing great. Right, well, I think Rolling Stone was, was very irrelevant by, by this time. Yes, period, that's what course. I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah. this old guard of print media It's probably was more like, relevant now than, than it was during that time period because they did some... Could be remodeling, yeah. but there was definitely, and I, I think, like, but then you see they hired a woman. Yeah, <laughs> then you see things like Pitchfork. Like if a band gets best new music, there's a period of time where they were like, you know, everybody was all over it. Yeah, it's interesting. No, people, don't, changed, people don't people don't care anymore, of course, no. which oh, so, is nice. So one thing you two have in common is you were playing around with a lot of bands that did get those critical raves and went on to become fairly big bands. Yeah, and uh, that I, is something we have in common. <laughs> can you two talk about that? Because I think that's kind of interesting. Sure. Yeah, I mean, we did. We I used to have a saying that if you wanted to get famous, open it up for us on tour. Because we we did two tours. One was a Vice label tour mm-hmm. that was sponsored by Sparks. I don't know if you remember that alcoholic beverage. It, Sparks was, would just give you the worst hangover. Yeah, it was orange and toxic. Yeah. And it was the tour was us, Death from Above, nineteen seventy nine. Who were I think just Death from Above at that point, mm-hmm. and um, this band called Vietnam was opening up. And the the order That's of the, the name that wouldn't fly now. <laughs> true, the order of that bill was Vietnam, Death from Above, and us. We were headlining the tour, and their record, Death from Above's record, came out, the one with the pink cover, mm-hmm. while we were on tour, 
And it became pretty clear, pretty quick, that people were showing up to see those guys and not us. And so we had to switch partway through tour. Let wow. Them in. Okay, so that's bad, right? That hurts. But we were able to talk our way out of it because we were doing most of like the second half of the tour in Canada. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, they're Canadian. They, you guys should do it. This is your home turf, you know, even mm-hmm. though we're like, they're definitely more popular. We did another tour with TV on the radio. Okay. And TV on the radio was, they were the most fun guys to tour with ever. I still love all those guys. It was, they were like, it's wonderful to be with them. Uh, that, the Young Liars EP, mm-hmm. that came out when we were on tour. And the day it came out, we played, we were playing this brewery in Milwaukee, I think. And there was a woman on the front of the stage. They were on before us. She ripped her shirt open at the first and had Young Liars tattooed across her chest. Oh. And I was like, we're switching. We're <laughs> <laughs> doing it wrong. Great EP, but whoa. Well, I know. It was, it was intense. I mean, on that tour, we were in a parking lot in like Columbus and David Bowie called Dave Siddick on the phone. And he thought it was a prank. You know, it was like, that's, that's when it was all started really happening for them, like right at that moment. And fortunately, not for, <laughs> not yeah. for us. Oh, I, I remember going to Brownies and it was so sad. The AES were opening up for Mile Marker. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Oh, Mile Marker. And wow. Mile Marker like practically begged them to switch. Yeah. And the AES were like, all right. I think like, it was it's like, it's, Yeah. And it's like, it's three hours. Like the show's in a few hours. Like where are yeah. you? are like, no. And uh, it was, and then like half the crowd, yeah. probably like more than half the crowd walked out and people were heckling Mile Marker. I mean, it was just brutal. Ugh. We um, played a show where we headlined over the Yeah Yeahs and the Liars at Maxwell's. Yeah, I headlined over, the, I, I didn't headline, but I, 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 the Yeah Yeahs opened up for us twice. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> Dude. Very brutal. That There was, so I when I first got to New York, I played very briefly guitar in this hardcore band. We just did a demo tape, didn't really, we played one show called She's Hit. Uh, and the drummer of that band said, hey, you know, it was named after a birthday party song. Yeah. And so he's like, you like the birthday party? You like Joy Division? That kind of stuff? I'm in this band. You should come check us out. We're playing at uh, Mercury Lounge. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. And it was Interpol. But this was before I knew, before they had, they didn't have anything out or anything. They had a demo CD, which I bought. And I was like, wow, these guys are actually pretty good. Wait, who, who was the drummer? He was the drummer. Oh, it was Sam. No. No, oh, it was the guy that got fired. Yes. Oh. So so we I saw Interpol probably God, 10 times played in nobody. And they were those songs were pretty fully realized like they it was they sounded good, you know? And I thought about so he he was fired. And he said he was fired cuz he wouldn't dress up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's true though. Um but the thing about all those bands, the Liars, the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, Black Dice, like every one of those bands that got somewhere, they all worked so fucking hard. It's not like they blew up out of nowhere. They were playing, like slaving away at shows to nobody for years. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean, but though I will say that's absolutely true, like completely true. At the time, that sort of perspective did not come to me. Hmm. I was not capable of that sort of like fair-minded <laughs> reasoning. What were your feelings at the time, Zach? My feelings at the time were I was I was incredibly bitter. I was like, you know, and I mean, I knew my, I knew that my band wasn't very good. I, I was probably more bitter when I was like formed another band that was a lot better. You know, no, was this Fresh Kills? Well, I was in a band called the Candy Darlings that really was just like a total like, you know, a shit show. And I mean, we were fun, but like we were a local opener band. Like that's <laughs> very much like we had. I, 
our lyrics were would not would not fly. I'm I'm very glad that there's not no internet. No, I know. Yeah. Uh, you know, were you problematic? <sighs> of course, Baby. everybody was problematic. Yeah, we were so. I mean, we yeah. I mean, we had just discovered hard drugs. Like, oh, no. and everyone had. Yeah, and it yeah. was it was and yeah problematic was the name of the game baby yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i mean we we you know you you would try to play shows with bad wizard like that's how like problematic we were (laughs) nobody knows Uh, that that's uh, yeah um and um so i was you know it was it was a bummer but it was also sort of like at one at, at some level i i got it and then with fresh kills which i really thought was great and in retrospect you know I can see. It was great. I will say, like, I, I, I not, not just because Zach is my friend. I do believe Fresh Kills was pretty cool. I, we, I, I agree. We were, yeah, we, we, the and and, but we weren't. Des- I don't, I don't want to get into like, oh, we weren't as good as this, but, but we were certainly, we were certainly fucking better than Stella Star, you know. <laughs> but they we, didn't, we, 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 nothing with there was a lot of those bands. The second kind of second wave of it that had like a go at it, but like Radio Four, those bands that you know. There was that moment where people were like, we're putting out everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those bands were totally fine bands. I mean, there's a famous story. I probably shouldn't tell a story, but. Go for it. Let's do it anyway. Uh, <laughs> Radio 4 was playing. And I love, I, Anthony is uh, yeah, I was gonna say, a buddy Anthony's of mine. Amazing. And, and, and his, I like Radio 4. I like Radio 4. I, I like Radio 4 too. And his previous band. Oh, yes. Fucking yes. Garden Variety. Garden Variety. Oh, my God. Who also this year are having a reissue. So we should, so at least we're yeah. going to promote that. Anyway, now let's badmouth Anthony. No, no, I'm not going to. So Anthony, there we're not badmouthing you. One of the, there was, a, there was a show and they were playing and someone yelled out while they're playing, who would fuck this band? <laughs> and there was a moment of kind of being like, you know, I had the same, then like I had a realization about my own band at that moment being like, who would fuck our band? Yeah. Like, this is why yeah, things aren't working, true. you know? Right. And, you know, and they're, but the, like Radio 4 had, they played festivals, they had amazing opportunities and it just like, it couldn't happen for everybody. It only can work for like a handful of people. Right. I do remember, and this was, and this is not a band that should have, but this was sad because they were, they were, they were like the it band even before I moved to New York, but there was a band called Speedball Baby who, who? who, were, who were not, not amazing, but they were on like some sizable they maybe even did like a seven inch for Matador or something, but they were like kind of like in the wake of John Spencer. And I thought I knew all this stuff, but you, I, Speedball Baby was they were, beyond they, me. They were very popular, right? I mean, they were like, I mean, they weren't like, like hipster popular. I don't know them. Okay. Well, they were, they like, they were sort of uh, just like a drugged out. They were like a John Spencer type band. Okay. okay. And they were very popular before any of this stuff happened. Mm hmm. And but they were very much a New York band, like yeah. so New York. They had songs about riding on the R train or something, you know. <laughs> Did they have and a song like, about which raised pizza is the real raised pizza? Yeah, essentially. <laughs> but like it was all and it was all about it was all about how like scary New York was. So that yeah. shows you how old they were. And they opened up for the Yeah Yeahs because the Yeahs were friends with them, because yeah. they, they had been friends with like older, like skeezy bands. And they were playing, and I just remember them being heckled and someone being like, go back to LA. Yeesh. And it's just like this, you know, archetype New York band, but because what their, their whole like posing was so out of fashion mm-hmm. that people were like, Oh, they must be from Los Angeles. Yeah. There was definitely like, you could tell when the changing of the guard happened, like we did a thing where Panthers did a thing where we kind of 
transitioned more into playing. We were making heavier music, and so we ended up playing. We did like a tour with High and Fire. Like we were, and we so we kind of zoomed out of the Brooklyn thing, which worked out okay for us. But you know, you could still see the writing on the wall. Like, you know, you can only do so many tours playing these venues before you realize like this isn't really happening right um and then 20 years later you're like oh i don't have any real skills <laughs> um well you were you know you were one of the last people to work in a video store in, yeah in, yeah in I were, yeah proper I, I, in, the, in the new york proper yeah I, I that was my when i wasn't on tour i managed a uh this like art house video store in greenpoint called photoplay which is i still think is like my favorite job i've ever had in my entire life mm-hmm yeah, it's great. Um, I'd still be there if it was still open. <laughs> I guarantee you. Um, yeah, well, and you know, as with the change in New York, I saw people mourning the closing of Videology the other mm-hmm. day, and great place. But they were talking about the bar. Yeah, it's and, not I a video like, store. and I was like, oh, it used to be a video store. I thought yeah. you guys were. It's weird that in 2017 to be upset about the closing of this uh, video store. But I feel like you well. once on Twitter once had a great saying that I think about a lot, Zach, is that there needs to be a word, preferably German. That roughly translate to the sadness you feel when a place you no longer go to closes. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't think that was me, but I'll take credit for it. <laughs> I, I've said lots of clever things so, yeah, for that sure. I haven't gotten credit for. So Sounds why, like why don't I steal this? Yeah, that's something I would say. Cool. So hey, thank you all for listening. Once again, we do this. We do the words and guitars uh, reading series every second Thursday at the lovely bar Pete's Candy Store. And we should also mention that uh, Jay Green does a monthly variety show mm-hmm. at El Cortez. Yes. Uh, it's the last Tuesday of every month, and we have comedians, and we always have a musical guest. We've had Kip from TV on the Radio, Nancy from LCD Sound System, Sin Kane, a lot of good musical guests, and lots of great comedians, including me. Uh, and I will say that I am far too neurotic for most comedy shows, and usually... Even if I'm watching something on Netflix, we'll cringe half the time because I'm so mm-hmm. just embarrassed for the humanity of it all. And I never cringe at Jay's shows. <laughs> and while we're they, plugging, and while we're plugging things, I think someone has a book out. Uh, oh yeah, I have a book out. It's called 131 Different Things by myself, Nick Zinner, and Stacy Wakefield. It is available from Akashic Books mm-hmm. and all your finer booksellers. I have not read this one, but I read Zach's last book, Take Me Off the Mailing List, and it's uh, great. Or no, Take Me Off the What List? <laughs> take Me Off the Guest List. Take Me Off the Guest List. I'm uh, sorry, Zach. And I will say, I just went to Barnes & Noble the other day, and I uh, found 131 different things on the bookshelf, and I took it off the bookshelf and put it on their recommended fiction table, <laughs> and then I left the Barnes & Noble. Tight. Thank you for listening, everyone. We love you. Have a good day. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production.